Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We are, of course, here to know God and make Him known, and we are doing that by reminding ourselves, uh, learning again, maybe for the very first time, what it is to be a Christian. And today we're going to talk about another aspect. Gravity gets me all the time. Anybody else have a problem with gravity? Yeah, do you know it really, it doesn't ever get easier. Uh, As I get older, it seems to get more difficult to deal with gravity. Uh, Anyway, how to be a Christian. Today we're talking about something completely different than we've talked about so far. Because there's just so many layers to being a Christian. Sometimes we think it's just, yeah, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I'm good to go, I'll see you in heaven. But real salvation, real discipleship, real Christianity is more than that. It is to submit ourselves to Jesus, to be a disciple, a follower learning from him, to be not only learning from him, but to recognize him as the king in every aspect of our life. Because Jesus is Lord of all creation. It is a question of will you acknowledge that in every aspect of your life, or will you walk in rebellion against his lordship? And as we submit to Jesus as Lord, we pursue personal purity, looking to cut those things out of our life that he says are sin, and to separate ourselves from them. We're going to learn more by having a regular devotional time, encourage you to be interacting with the scriptures on a regular basis. And what does regular mean? For some of us, it's every morning. For others of us, it's every evening. For some of you, it's once or twice a week. Be doing more today than you did this time last year in your devotional and prayer life, and you will be growing as a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. A Christian should be learning God's word and applying it to their lives, looking to it as the sole authority for everything regarding life and godliness. There are lots of things out there trying to give us answers, but only one source of truth, and that is the word of God. That a Christian should have a heart for evangelism, ready to give your story of salvation and presenting the gospel regularly. Getting better as you get older in your faith, not getting more scared and holding back. That gospel, that reminder that we were created by a loving God who desired relationship with us, but we all rebelled against him, violated his standards and commands. Adam and Eve at the tree in the Garden of Eden and us on a daily basis in our own lives, rebelling against the lordship of Christ, rebelling against the authority of God. And in rebelling, we have earned for ourselves death and separation from God. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus who lived a perfect sinless life, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh who died on the cross to absorb your punishment, to take on the wrath of God that you rightly deserve in your rebellion and your sinfulness. And he died on the cross for your sins and mine, was buried and then rose again on the third day. And then we all come to a place where we must make a choice. Will you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? and count the gift that he gave on the cross as your own or will you reject him and that's really what it is to give the gospel that it was it's it's that simple to just go through the understanding we were created we rebelled god redeemed us through jesus and now it's time to make a choice 
We also know that a Christian will attend church regularly to worship God, have his spiritual needs met, to make a contribution to the body of believers. Brothers and sisters, church should be a priority in our life. And what is church? It is the gathering of the saints. And it shouldn't be something that's just on our list when we can get to it, but it should be a priority. In fact, uh, it, we should not look our, on our calendars to decide if we can uh, you know, fit church in, but instead church should be the thing on our calendar that we put everything else around. And we're talking scripturally. We're not just talking that I'm saying that because I'm a pastor and I have to be here, so I don't want the room to be empty. Well, I'm saying it is because this is a scriptural standard given to us. The Christian fellowships regularly with other believers, displaying love and unity. A genuine Christian will open up your life to other believers. None of us were wired or made or saved to be Lone Ranger Christians. If you look around this room and nobody knows the real you, you are missing out on the fellowship of the saints. And it's time to break down walls and belong. And then last week, we talked about a Christian demonstrates a servant heart by helping others in practical ways. We were saved to serve. And if you are saved, you are a servant. The question really is, are you a faithful servant or a rebellious servant? Are you doing as you're supposed to? Are you following God's leadership? Are you submitting to the, the authority and the example of Christ who washed the feet of his disciples? A, a very demeaning, lowest of the low act. Are you willing to serve and meaningful and practical ways or are you rebelling against God as a servant saying yeah I mean I know my job's secure so I'm just going to do what I want what kind of servant are you and then today we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject and actually as a pastor it's one of my least favorite and on one hand and yet one that really is critical to the life of the church is that a Christian gives regularly and honors God with their finances I, I, I was looking for a video clip that really um, would sum up my disdain for talking about finances, but then I, I realized I can just describe it because I, I was flipping through the television channels last night, and I, I have an antenna on my roof because I'm cheap and I don't like to pay for cable, so I have an antenna, and even on over-the-air digital television, there are at least four channels that are Christian television. Now, one of them, of course, is, is the Catholic channel, which is, is fine. They don't ask for money very often. They're just doing their thing. But the other ones, these Pentecostal-oriented or, or evangelical-oriented ones, nine times out of ten, I'll hit that channel, and you know what they are doing? They are fundraising. Right, and, and they tell me over and over again, help us share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm that guy. I just enjoy the punishment. I will actually sit and watch for half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. And the problem is I have to stop eventually because I will get so angry. I will break the very expensive television that my wife and son bought for me. But, but see, in the course of that hour, do you know what they tell me about the gospel? Nothing. They tell me never in the course of that time. They never tell me what it is to be a Christian. They never tell me that I am a sinner separated from God because of my rebellion. They never tell me that I deserve hell. They never tell me that I deserve the punishment and the wrath of God for the, the person I am in my own self. They never tell me that Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross for my sins. They'll talk about how Jesus wants to bless me and make me rich or make me prosperous or give me good health, but they never tell me that he wants to save me. 
And, and, and they never tell me it's time to make a decision to abandon your own desires, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus. They never tell me that. But you know what they do the whole time? They ask me for money. And it's, it's, it's no wonder that we find money such a difficult topic in certain circumstances. Because you feel like, especially if you've seen any number of preachers on the internet or on Christian television, any number of, 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 of movies that end with a, a request for you to donate, you know, Christian movies like to do that too. We, we all are of the mindset that the church is only here to do what? Take our money. And do what with it? Probably buy big houses and nice watches for the pastor. Now, I will say to you, I have a nice watch. I have a nice watch because my mommy bought it for me. Um, straight up. And it's like three years old now, so it's not even the nicest Apple watch. But it's a nice watch. But my mom bought it for me. I would have still had a really old Apple watch. And, and the only reason actually I have nice watches at all is I, I go through my drawer. My mom bought all my watches. Um, I guess... So my mommy likes to buy me watches, and I let her. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I, I watched a, t a video, a pastor from, from uh, Louisiana, Jesse Duplantis, if, if you're familiar with him. Actually, I wouldn't call him a pastor. I call him a heretic from Louisiana. And, and the, his whole shtick, five-minute video, was to tell the congregation how he had the largest mansion of any pastor in the United States. Over 800,000 square feet. I mean, he was just, he was crazy. 80,000 square feet, I think he said. I exaggerated, right? But, but seriously, and, and, and that his watch cost him $40,000. And, and, and tell, and, and there was a guy, I was out just, just walking in my front yard, and a guy threw money over the fence and said, Bless you, Pastor. And it's $5,000 right there. And I went and I told my wife, and I gave it to her, and I never saw it again. <laughs> now, will you give to the church? Well, why? You have everything you need. The church seems to have, maybe if you gave a little bit, the church would be better off, right? We get that attitude. We get that mindset. We get very cynical talking about money and finances. And, and so for me, I see all those abuses and I go, I don't want to be like that. But I actually make the mistake of being on the exact opposite extreme and, and forgetting to remind us all to be faithful with our finances, Forgetting to remind us all that God has, has told us some specific things about our giving and, and about our finances that we need to be aware of and, and we need to work to implement in our lives. And, and let's, let's realize that giving in God's economy, in this book, giving isn't something that just starts the first day of church where they passed around plates and said, give money because Peter needs a new watch, uh, because John needs a new home. No, it, it, it's something actually that goes all the way back into the very beginning of God's law. So just a quick overview. We've covered this before, but just so you see, giving in the Old Testament, it's, it's the concept of the tithe. And, and this is a word a lot of us hear. We, we hear from a pastor from a church, you know, bring in your tithes and your offerings. And what's the difference between a tithe and an offering? Well, a tithe is a literal 10% of the increase. And the offering would be then anything above and beyond that. In, in the 
Old Testament, God's chosen people were required by the law to bring in three different tithes or 10% of the increase. Now, what does that mean, 10% of the increase? It means this is an agrarian culture and they would have a bag of seed. You have a 100-pound bag of seed and you go out and you plant your field and then on harvest day, you harvest 300 pounds of grain. What's the increase? 200 pounds, right? I know some of us, that really wasn't too hard, but I understand. Math is one of those things. It's like finances. We try and avoid it, right? Uh, so, so the increase was 200 pounds. So that means the farmer was responsible for giving to God 10% of the increase. So another quick math question, how much is that? 20 pounds. 20 pounds of grain given to God as a tithe. And so God wasn't asking them to, to give in such a way that it would, it would necessarily make them poor. It wasn't asking him to give, uh, you know, we all talk about income and we talk about, you know, well, pre-tax or after-tax and, you know, net gross, when do we tithe off of? Look, 10% of the increase. And actually, I'm going to tell you that tithe is an Old Testament thing specifically. There were three different tithes. They resulted in about 23% of annual income being given to the work of the temple and God's ministry. So the first is the Levitical tithe. It was annual. It provided for the people who worked in the tabernacle and the temple and their families. So the Levitical tithe, the one ten percent. Then there was the festival tithe. God actually asked his people to give a, a, an annual tithe of animals and grain and wine and fruit to be set apart solely for the the the, the uh, purpose of partying for a week together. Doesn't that sound good? Can you imagine if we all set apart 10% of our income, our increase, and we brought it together and we went on vacation together as a church and we look around and go, no, 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 no. I, but, but that's what God's people did actually. They gathered together at the temple. They gathered together in their, in their cities and they spent a week celebrating the goodness of God. How much more rich would our relationships be if we shared life like that? But that, that's Old Testament. It's not required of us. It was required of them. And then once every three years, 10% was a tithe for the poor. That's how we get to 23% annually is that once every three years, another 10% was given as a tithe to the poor. And so that averages out to about 3.33333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333
that was required. Now, you could always give an offering. And in fact, there were many offerings asked for throughout the course of the Old Testament. The first that was asked for that we really can see is um, when they were building the tabernacle, the tent that was to be the place where the Ark of the Covenant was stored and, and God's presence would descend and abide in the midst of his people. They, they did a collection, not a, not a required collection, but an offering to get all of the fabric and the gold and the silver and the bronze that was required for the tabernacle. They also did offerings for the first temple. They, they gathered wood and gold and stone. And then men worked on crafting God's temple to his glory. And, and so there were the tithes and then there were offerings. In the New Testament, things shift a little bit. Now, while we read in the Gospels the life of Jesus, it's important for us to understand a couple of things about the, Jesus. Number one, Jesus was a faithful Old Testament Jew. You need to understand that about Jesus. So when we talk about Old Testament rules, Jesus followed every Old Testament rule as required by God to the T. He was perfect in all he did. Now, he didn't follow the added rules that other religious leaders had, had added on to God's perfect standards. He didn't follow those. Why? Because they weren't from God and they were unnecessary. But he followed God's rules perfectly. And so when we read of things happening in the Gospels, Jesus is still living under and teaching from the perspective of Old Testament standards. And, and so when Jesus talks about giving and, and the temple tax and things that happen in his day, it's because he's still living under the Old Testament law. But once he dies and rises again and the Holy Spirit comes, the church age begins and we begin an understanding that no longer do we have to live up to the law. In fact, we never could. But Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf and that all who believe on him enter into a new relationship with God through the faithfulness and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the standards or the rules change up a little bit. Jesus fulfills these old rules and now we have new standards. First, understand in the New Testament, there's no specific mention of the word tithe. Or the concept of tithing. Now, does that mean that the tithe is a bad thing or 10% is bad? No, it does not. But understand, it's not reiterated or repeated in the New Testament. But there are three areas of giving specifically mentioned. Number one, support for those in need. In fact, the first things that we see happening when it comes to giving in the New Testament are believers giving money for the sake of believers in other areas that are undergoing famine and persecution to support other believers. And we see the apostle Paul is active in all kinds of um, collections in order to support believers who are suffering and struggling. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says this, in every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is the attitude of the early church. We labor and it's necessary to give for the sake of others. And early believers, if we read in Acts chapter 4, they would sell their excess in order to have the money to support 
other believers who were losing their jobs because of persecution, who were going through trying times, that it wasn't required, but it was welcomed and accepted. And so giving for the sake of others, especially the poor and other believers, becomes a huge part of New Testament giving life. Second thing that we see in the New Testament is support for missions. To support those who are going out to places that are unreached with the gospel, to share the gospel and bring others to Jesus Christ. Philippians, 3 John, we see it in both of those places. Here's what 3 John 8 says. Therefore, we ought to support such people. Now, why would we support such people? Those who are traveling through and going on and out into new and unreached places to share the gospel of Jesus. Why should we support them? Because in supporting them, we can become co-workers with the truth. We become part of the work of reaching the world. Now, uh, we here are, are Southern Baptists. That's our denomination. It's the, the group of churches that we belong to. They are not over us, but we are part of them. And we send resources to other places in order to support ministries that are taking the gospel out to other parts of the world, whether that's someplace in, in, uh, uh, elsewhere in the state or it's somewhere over across oceans. And by doing so, Every time you give to the church and the church gives a portion of what you give to those, those works, you are becoming a co-worker with the truth. You are making a difference in the lives of others by helping the gospel to go out into the world. Every time you give extra, you make an offering, an extra gift to uh, Faith Gura back there, the envelopes to the India mission. You are helping to take the gospel to one village in India with the hope that it will spread like wildfire from there. And what we can know for sure is, while there are many false teachers who are asking for money to, to go to India, that Pastor Steve, Brother Steve, is a solid, God-honoring teacher in whose hands the gospel is, is well-kept. And every dime you give to support the India mission... You become a co-worker. You don't get to go over there and enjoy the culture and the food, but it's the same as you being there. You are spiritually by his side as he takes the good news of Jesus to that village. And then finally, the third reason that we as, as New Testament believers are tasked with giving is to support ministry to support the ministry of the local church, to support the people who do the work of the ministry. And, and I'm going to be, I don't want this to sound self-serving, but to support the pastors and their families who give of themselves in order for you to be shepherded and cared for. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, the apostle Paul writes this to Timothy. The elders who are good leaders, now maybe that might be the condition there for you to think, hmm, are they good leaders? Well, okay, we can talk about that, but the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Paul is referring to a couple of, of concepts in the Old Testament. They're, they're kind of hidden in there that he knew of. 
But it, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. In other words, the ox is doing the work of breaking the chaff off of the kernel and you're, you, you don't muzzle that ox as it's doing that work because that would be unjust to the ox. But instead you let it partake of whatever it will as it does the work of treading the grain. Now you know it's not going to eat at all and you know it won't eat more than it needs. Instead, it will be just what is necessary for the ox to be healthy and continuing to do its work. Much like leaders in church who are compensated should receive compensation that is enough to keep them healthy and strong, but not so much as to make them fat. But it's also a bit of trust, a bit of of honoring them with your, your, your ability to trust that they'll take what's necessary. Now, what's Truthful is, I don't just reach in the pot when there's an offering and take what I want. I am compensated according to what you vote on every year. Thank you for your generosity in that. And a worker is worthy of his wages. How many of you guys would be quite frustrated going to work, working a full day, you get to the end of it, you've done a great job, you've trained for it your whole life, you're well-prepared and well-educated, and the boss says to you, yeah, I just don't feel like paying you today. I mean, you did a good job and all, but, you know, we just can't. It's, it's so hard to afford you. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Would you come back? I mean, you, you get the picture. And, and, and Scripture supports the compensation of church leadership in a manner that is both gracious and adequate. So... What are the guidelines for New Testament giving? We see in the New Testament that we are supposed to give for what? We're supposed to give for the needy, ministry in general, and also for missions. That's what our giving is supposed to support. And that's what our church tries to be faithful to see to it, that everything you give goes into one of those baskets. We don't just waste money, but we support the ministry of our local church missions, or the poor and the needy as we have availability. So what are the guidelines for New Testament giving? If you were to open your Bible to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're actually, we're not going to read all of this, <clears throat> and, and, and it, this is kind of a reflection too, but 2 Corinthians chapters, here's the Apostle Paul's standards for giving in the New Testament. As inspired by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8 and chapter 9. So you want to you wanna dig in deep? You want to get to know more? Read all of chapters 8 and 9. I won't read them this morning because there's lunch. Right? But, but th there's, there's, there's more to do. We've got places to be. We've got things to accomplish. But no, you, you want to dig into what it is to give? Read chapters 8 and 9 of First Corinthians, or excuse me, of, of Second Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the same church earlier about collecting for the sake of needy believers specifically. And here's how he says to structure giving. Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. So clearly he's already told the churches in Galatia to do this as well. On the first day of the week, question, what's the first day of the week? 
Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yes, Sunday is the first day of the week, and it has been since Jesus' day. Sunday is the first day of the week, and it's what we call the Lord's Day. We gather together on Sundays, not because it is the official Sabbath as in the Old Testament, but why do we gather together on Sundays? The Lord's Day, which celebrates what? The resurrection. You guys realize you don't have to wait till Easter to celebrate the resurrection. By attending church every Sunday, it is meant to be a weekly celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. So the Apostle Paul is setting the stage for what giving in the church in Corinth and Galatia look like. He's setting a standard because we are not told anywhere in the New Testament, tithe. And here are the tithes you have to give. Instead, we are told to give and to give graciously and to give regularly. Here's the standard he begins to set. And he says this, on the first day of the week, Set something aside in keeping with how you're prospering. And so we, we get standards from that for our giving. We should be giving to the Lord regularly, intentionally. So regularly, first day of the week, intentionally set something aside based upon your blessing in proportion with what God has given you. So now where does that get us? Interestingly enough, that gets us to... On a Sunday morning, we take up offering and we do it intentionally. And what's a good place to start or what's a good goal of how much to give according to how you've been blessed? Well, it doesn't say tithe anywhere, but guess what? This is where we bring tithe back into the picture. 10%. If 10% was the standard in the Old Testament, it is not required of us in the New but doesn't it make sense to be a respectable goal for us New Testament believers to give? So to give regularly, on, on, not like, oh, let's see, how much is in my wallet? Oh, nothing. All right. You know, and then next week, oh, $2. I'll give $2 because that's what's in my wallet. But instead to regularly, on a regular, a weekly basis, set aside money that will go to be given based upon how much God has blessed you. Now, <coughs> excuse me. I know that, that we're all in different places financially. We're all in different positions. We all have, have different, different uh, levels of, of what we make and, and what we can afford and levels of debt. But, but the goal should be for all of us to give and to give regularly, and to give intentionally, and to give based upon how we've been blessed. Second Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives a little bit more detail in his second writing to this church about giving. He says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So if, if Paul, he begins by saying to do it regularly, intentionally, and in proportion to how you've been blessed. And, but then he ends the idea ultimately with this. Look, whatever God lays on your heart, do it cheerfully. But be honest with yourself and with God. Don't sit back and say something like, well, God hasn't laid anything in my heart, so I don't have to. No, no, it's not nothing because I don't feel like it. 
or I don't feel convicted enough, but rather it is everyone should be giving and everyone should give something and give something cheerfully. Right? So, so that means, in all honesty, when you are giving, it should bring joy to your heart. Not, oh, I have to give to the church again. And so what that means for us is not, so learn how to be joyful as you give money, but instead, give what makes you happy, but ask for God to open your heart and to reveal to you if you need to give more. And, and we're going to talk about that as we go. So to, to give cheerfully uh, or, or to give in, uh, regularly, intentionally, in proportion and cheerfully. And then finally, we're going to see that God wants us to give in a very specific way. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What, what does it speak of where our heart is? It says that's where our affections are, Right? And where we place our treasure, where we store up our treasure, whether here on earth or in eternity, that's where our, our passion is. That's where our love is. That's what we consider most valuable. So consider where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Philippians 4.18, Paul says this, But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supported, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. And then he says this to the church in Philippi about what they provided. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. We should understand that giving is an act of worship. Giving reveals what we, we count as most important in this life. And, and this is, of course, difficult. We have so many demands on ourselves and our finances, don't we? Whether they're wants or needs or someone else's wants or needs. But if we have a mindset that giving is an act of worship and we do it regularly, intentionally, proportionally, cheerfully, and then finally as an act of worship, it will change our perspectives and how we approach giving. When we understand that putting money in the box or in the, 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 the plate, there we go, is not a cold, hard duty, but rather an act of affection and glory to God, it will change our desire to give. It's kind of like, I know, not often because... Uh, they get a little frivolous, but probably more often than I do that my wife likes to get flowers, right? And I don't get her flowers because it's like, oh, I haven't gotten Shelly flowers in six months and I have to, or she'll hate me, right? Or time to get flowers this week or this month or, right? Oh, it's my anniversary, but I get flowers. Um, but when do I get flowers for Shelly? And like I said, sorry, babe, probably not often enough, but then you tell me, uh, so I buy steak instead. But why do I buy flowers? Why? Because it's an act of love. Is it frivolous? Yes. Does it add anything to my life? Not really. Other than in a week, I'll have to help clean up flowers. Right? Does it, does it feel like it has any real lasting value? No, not in and of itself. But where is the lasting value in my relationship with my wife? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to take it too far, but yeah. <laughs> that, that in pleasing her, that's what gives value to the action. When you give, when you give, you are doing something that is, according to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You are, let's just make it as street as we can. You're bringing flowers to Jesus every week. You're making an offering that he finds pleasing. And it's part of your walk with him and your relationship with him. So a Christian gives regularly. Now, others of you would counter, yeah, but I was taught you can give time, treasure, or talent. Absolutely. In fact, we should all, in the previous sermons, should be giving of our time and our talents to the body of Christ. All the time. Not measuring it out, saying, well, I already gave those things. I don't have to give anything else. In fact, God's word tells us we should be giving of all things and not using one to compensate for the others. Your time, your talent, and your treasure should all be gifts you give to the body of Christ and the church. So a Christian gives regularly and honors God with their finances. Now, a couple minutes just to wrap this up. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say you might be able to if you can walk the tightrope. He doesn't say it's possible. He says you cannot serve both God and money. And we read this and we think that a couple of things are our options. We think, number one, well, maybe the only option I have is to abandon God and serve money. And we watch many in our culture do this, don't we? That, that it's, it's much easier to abandon God and pursue my own desires than to serve money. And, but then we have some hyper-spiritual people who think that we should abandon money and serve God. Like, real Christians should be poor and destitute. And, and the people who should be the poorest and the most destitute are pastors and their family. Um, yeah. Uh, so we, we, we have this, this idea that either we have to be all in on money and nothing on God or all in on God and you just can't have any money. But the real, the real answer that Jesus is trying to get us to is to serve God with good stewardship of our money. To honor God with our finances to realize that money is a tool just as much as preaching is just as much as sharing a tract is money is a tool that can glorify God and if we have a right perspective on money we can serve God not mammon but still use mammon and money to serve God um Proverbs 22.7 teaches us about the first thing we should have in mind. Number one, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Honoring God with our finances is first, avoid unnecessary debt. It's hard sometimes. Uh, today, the United States, the average American, has more credit card debt than at any other time in history. The, the United States as a whole has more consumer debt today than at any other point in history in proportion to our GDP. We, we, we use debt to make ourselves happy and to cover over 
the hurts and pains of our life instead of turning to Jesus. Now, there are some debt that, debts that may be necessary, right? Not many of us could save up enough money to buy a home for cash early in life, right? That's just not a thing that happens for many of us. And so a mortgage can be good debt, something that we do to accomplish more in life. You may have to borrow money for a car. Now, the thing is, is don't buy the nicest car necessarily. And the one with the what? You could buy a used car. Absolutely. Be wise with what you buy, right? Buy what you need, not what you want necessarily. But some debt may be necessary. You're starting a small business. You may have to incur debt in order to, to be able to purchase the equipment, to get startup fees and things going. Absolutely. Let me, in, in fact, encourage you, use money to accomplish things to glorify God. And using money can include, at times, debt. But there's unnecessary debt, right? I'll never forget my first credit card purchase. The, 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 the thing that began my slavery to debt, my, my, uh, my spiral, uh, you know, as a young person. I was 20. I had my first credit card um, from Capital One. Yeah, and I got it because I had student loans and they knew I was a sucker at that point. And, um, and Shelly and I were engaged, actually. Uh, we, we had stepped away from college in order to work for the summer and a, a semester and, and then get married at the end of the summer. And I decided with my brand new fresh credit card to go into Walmart. And I wanted a Discman CD player, the portable CD player, and Pearl Jam 10 so bad. Like, and, and I'm making five bucks an hour, and this Discman's 100, and Pearl Jam 10's 15. So, you know, this is, this is a week's worth of work I'm, I'm, I'm putting on this credit card. But I wanted it so bad. And you'll never guess what I did. I bought it. Mm. And there's only like one song off of that album I like listening to anymore. But, but look, it, it is so easy. I wanted a Discman. And I mean, I'm the guy. I go in, like I, I went into Walmart. I must have been in there a hundred times. And I looked at Pearl Jam 10 and I looked at the Discman. And you know what I did? I walked out and said, I just can't. But then one day I went in and I did it. It took me forever to pay off a stupid Discman that broke within six months and an album that I didn't really like within about a year. Why do we do that? Why do we do it? Because we are looking for an immediate happy instead of honoring God with our finances. Next, Deuteronomy 28, 19. This is an Old Testament rule, but it sets a standard for us as believers in understanding God's desire for our finances and how we honor him. Do not charge your brother interest on silver, food, or anything that can earn interest. Do not charge your brother interest on silver, food, or anything that can earn interest. Jesus actually says, lend without expecting in return. But what, how might the church be revolutionized if those Christians who are more well-off stopped considering their money as a tool to make more money, but their money as a tool to help bless other believers. I have to think that some of us are paying stupid interest rates on cars when if there was a 
more well-off believer in our life who was willing to lend that money to us at zero interest for the sake of helping improve our life and glorify God, that would revolutionize someone's life and honor God's word. That if we would, some of us, we've got, you know, a little bit in, in retirement, right? In a, in a 401, whatever, or a, I don't even know all the things, right? I, I am so stupid on finances. It's just not even funny. Uh, talk to me about the Trinity. I got some great ideas. Finances, I know about the bank, right? I mean, that's just, there's banks and credit cards. And I, I know there's more. But what if, what if we stopped treating retirement as a God and saving all of our money for retirement and using our money to make more money and pulled some out and began to judiciously lend it to other believers at zero interest that they might better their lives? What if we did that? What if that was our, what if that's how we honored God? Now, listen, that doesn't mean that you need something. Go find somebody that you think has money. Hey, Michael said, lend me something. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? And if God lays that on your heart, I, I, can, I can envision that our church could begin to lend money to one another and other believers at zero interest. If, if some of you who have resources that are socked away, that you're just waiting until you're old and near death to use, if we would leverage them to honor others and use the church, not as a business, but as an accountability partner between two people in a lending transaction. Couldn't that be a beautiful thing? Couldn't that be life-changing for young believers? and old believers who will experience the blessing of God, lend graciously. Honor, your God, honor God with your money by doing this. The wicked person borrows and does not repay. So if you have borrowed, you certainly must repay. It needs to be top of your priority list too. It doesn't happen that way all the time. And I don't feel condemned when you fall short, but understand the goal is to repay if you've borrowed. But the righteous one is gracious and giving. The wicked person borrows without repaying. The righteous one is gracious and gives. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. And he will give a reward to the lender. And the poor is more appreciative. Certainly. And, and God is saying to us, give generously. When we give to those in need, to whom are we giving? God. It's right here. It is a loan to God. Now, is he good for the loan? Yeah. Because let me tell you, even if you don't get paid back today, you have an eternity and an inheritance that is immeasurable, uncountable. And so he's good for it. So give generously. So we, we just to, to wrap it all up, I, I realize um, that, that we're, we're we're almost there, right? So give. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, give. Give. Give regularly, intentionally, proportionally, cheerfully, and worshipfully. Give. Give to the church. Give to other ministries. Give. And second, honor God. Manage your debt well. Avoid unnecessary debt. Second, lend without interest. Lend without expecting the return, but rejoicing when it comes back. I think my wife, she, she ends up getting money. My, 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 my people 
They just dirt poor. Uh, her people had some money from time to time. She's gotten some of it. You know what she does with it? She, she lends it to our kids. And you might say, well, that's not good. No, it's really good. Instead of them going into debt somewhere else, she lends it to them to buy vehicles, toolboxes. And just if you're wondering, like a toolbox? No, we're talking toolbox. Mechanics toolbox, right? And you, and you know what our kids do? They pay it back. Not always perfectly, not always on time. One of them paid it back. We still have one child that we're just going to have to beat it out of him. But no. But you get, you get the picture, right? We do that as parents for children. We would lend money without interest in order to help them accomplish something. Wouldn't it be beautiful if the church could do that for brothers and sisters? And then give. Because when you give, who are you giving to? When you're generous, who are you generous toward? The Lord himself. So a Christian gives regularly and honors God with their finances. So in giving, a couple of questions I want to ask you to ask yourself. If you're not giving it all, or a couple of challenges. If you're not giving it all, start giving a set amount regularly. So some of us, we look at giving and we go, somebody always told me I have to tithe, but I don't know how I could give 10% of my income and still have groceries. And I know that especially in the day and age of inflation, it's even harder. So what I want to challenge you to do is if you are not giving at all, start giving something regularly. So to make a commitment in your heart, I'm going to give $5 a week every week and, and just trust God. I'm going to give 10. I'm going to give 20. I'm going to give 1%. I'm going to give 2%. I'm going to give 5%. But give. Give regularly. Give intentionally. Not accidentally, not with whatever's left in your wallet, but give a set amount regularly. If you are giving regularly, are you giving all that God has laid on your heart? And, and, and I, I mean it that way too. Not are you giving all that you should, or you, uh, there's some sort of standard you should be meeting that's external, but rather are you actually giving everything that God has laid on your heart or are you holding back for some reason? It's interesting, uh, many of us are familiar with the store JCPenney. Not many of us are familiar with the man JCPenney. And JCPenney started the store, was successful. As the store started, he gave 10% of his income to the church and religious and, and uh, charitable organizations. As his wealth increased, he kept his standard of living the same. And by the time he passed away, he was giving 90% of his income away and living on 10%. Now, should we all do that? No. If God lays that on your heart, should you do that? Yes. If God lays on your heart to live on half of your income and give the other half to church and other charitable organizations that are making an impact for the good gospel of Jesus Christ, you should do that. So if you're giving regularly already, don't think that that's enough if God has laid something more on your heart. Do what God has laid on your heart. And then finally, if you are giving regularly, are you doing so with the right attitude and goals? That prosperity preacher on TV, the one that's got the really expensive house and watch, he'll tell you to give so that you'll get more. Show me in scripture where that's true and I'll agree with him, but it's not. In fact, we're told over and over again to give as a sacrifice 
he's a scammer. We, we're told to give to honor God. We're told to give without expecting in, expecting in return. We're told to give cheerfully and as an act of worship. Not as a, all right, God, I'm going to give you this much, but I expect 100 times more. So giving, three questions if, or, or, or statements. If you're not giving at all, start. If you are giving regularly, are you giving all that God would have you give? And finally, even if you are giving regularly, are you doing it with the right attitude? Are you doing it cheerfully and worshipfully? Are you doing it expecting something in return? I have to tell you, you could give a lot of money and I will never put your name on a plaque on a thing in this church because that's not what it's about. We give to honor God and to glorify him. Honoring God with your finances, that's the two parts Giving and honoring God. Honoring God with our finances. I want you to think about this honestly. Is your level of debt necessary or is it enslaving? Make moves to eliminate unnecessary debt. And look, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not standing in judgment. I'm one of those people that have been in slavery to debt. I know what it's like. But there is help and there's hope. There are, we have financial people here who could help you work your way out. We, we, we can overcome. Now, if your debt is necessary in the sense of you're paying your mortgage, don't feel guilty, right? Maybe you need to, well, even today, crazy thing, finances, you could downsize your house and still owe twice as much. So just figure it out, right? Do you have unnecessary debt? And how can you eliminate it? Are there needs around you that could be met by generous lending of your extra resources? I'm not asking anybody to stop buying groceries in order to lend money, but I am asking you believers who God has blessed and you have got money somewhere sitting there doing its thing so that someday you can use it to go somewhere or buy something would you consider taking a portion of that and generously lending, graciously lending to other believers as you see a need? Instead of, and this is a fun one, instead of somebody needs a new car, we all say, I'll pray for you. How about you look about what's in your accounts and can you withdraw something and help them buy a new car and set up a payment plan with them and bless them and honor God with the resources you've been blessed with. Once again, not asking anybody to starve to death, but to consider your extra. Uh, Shelley would call it lanyap. That's a Southern thing. You might not know it, but it's delicious. Um, you dip your bread in the lanyap. It's the extras, right? Can you give more of your extras or use your extras more judiciously for the sake of the kingdom? Are you giving generously to meet the needs of the poor, understanding that doing so is actually serving God? Once again, I'm not asking anybody to starve to death, but to honor God with your finances means to be willing to give generously for the sake of the poor and the needy. We've got great ministries in our area. First of all, we've got a benevolence fund in our church that is, is something we can use to help others. But then we've got Washington Mission and, and, and other organizations that we can use or uh, give to to support the needy. So all of this really just boils down to we want to... Give regularly and honor God with our finances. Give regularly, intentionally, proportionally, cheerfully, and worshipfully. And then honor God by managing your debt, lending as you have availability, and giving 
to those in need. Uh, would the worship team find their way up and the deacons who are supposed to be helping? Today we're going to begin again, something we haven't done. Yes, our deacons for offering. Come on up here, guys. Uh, I'm going to make you do it um, the, the backwards way. Um, to, the elders have decided that while we are not financially like, oh no, things are bad, we realize that we have made giving less of a worshipful thing. We have made it a... Um, well, just a thing that we do. There's a box in the back and we give online and, and we're thankful for all of you who do give regularly and intentionally and proportionally and cheerfully and worshipfully. But we want to set the stage for all of us to worship a little bit more in giving. And so maybe you have something you would like to give this morning. Maybe you don't. That's okay. We're just going to pass the plates and this is going to become a regular thing. Now, the second reason for doing this on the chairs are the connection cards. Right, And some of you just ignored them and, or threw them off to the side or put them on the floor. But if you've got a prayer request or there's a, a, a sign-up you need to do for a ministry or there's a challenge in the sermon that you have questions about or you want to be baptized or you want to have questions about membership, I want you to fill this out during the sermon. And we'll give you a moment before we take up the offering and then put it in the offering plate. So two things our offering time moving forward will do for us. Number one... It gives you an opportunity to give as an act of worship. Whether it's a little bit extra from what you normally give or you move your normal giving from the box to our worship time in giving. And then for everybody else, maybe you've already given or you, you give online, it's an opportunity for you to respond, to share a prayer request, to give this connection card an opportunity to be used so we can know how to best serve you as a body. So here in a moment, if you need to fill out your connection card, do so. We're going to pray. And then the uh, ushers, our deacons are going to come and receive whatever you have to give. If it's nothing today, that's okay, because it's a new thing. If it's just a few connection cards, hallelujah. If you, in hearing this teaching, God's laid something on your heart to give extra or for the first time, this is your opportunity to do it today. So let's pray. And then our ushers will take up the offering. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and how it is so true and perfect. And that it speaks to every aspect of life. We pray that as we look at, at, at finances, that we would not treat them as some sort of black box in which our spiritual life has no bearing. But instead, we would open up that box. We would let you in. We would begin to deal honestly with you giving as we should according to your word and your leading and giving cheerfully and as an act of worship. And we pray that you would help us to look at our finances and how we manage what you've given to us and that we would be good stewards, able to bless others, not serving money, but using money to serve you. And so this morning as we finish up our time together in worship with taking up this offering, this time of giving, would you lay on our hearts what our next steps might be? Whether it's to give for the first time, give a little bit more, or to give extravagantly. Whether it's to, to pursue clearing up debt or to, to, uh, to lend without interest, that you would lay on our hearts the next step and help us to take that next step joyfully.
Thank you for this time. Please bless this offering as we worship you in it. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you guys get your plates and let's just pass the plates. And once again, if all we get is a few connection cards today, hallelujah. If God has laid a first step on your heart, would you take that first step? And then if, if there's a next step that needs to happen, would you hear that and respond to God as well? Because we are called to give regularly, intentionally, proportionally, cheerfully, and worshipfully, and honor God as we manage debt, lend without interest, and give to those in need. Let's stand together and close with our last worship song together before we join in lunch. So let's, uh, let's sing together.